The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. As always, I'm Craig Carton and we appreciate you taking a few moments of your weekend to join us here uh, for a frank and open and honest conversation about gambling and gambling addiction. As we always say, the far majority of you can gamble recreationally and responsibly, and it's all good. But about 10% of the people that do start to gamble on a regular basis, sadly, go down the same rabbit hole that I went down. And I can tell you from personal experience, it ain't fun. It brings a lot of heartache, uh, financial cost, emotional cost, and sometimes incarceration as well. As always, joining me from 800 Gambler, our friend Dan Schlauer. Danny, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well, Craig. Good morning. How has the uh, feedback been for you guys since we started the program? Are, are you seeing an uptick in phone calls and people checking out the website and showing more interest in what you guys offer service-wise? Yeah, we certainly are. Yeah, it, the, in the samples that I've taken, just even talking with friends and colleagues or people reaching out on top of those calling into Andrew Gambler, we're definitely reaching a diverse audience. It ranges from people struggling with gambling addiction, loved ones, friends and family members, and even some people who, who might be considered at risk. They're not really sure if they have a problem. They could kind of be questioning their gambling activity or behaviors. So they're, they're reaching out, clinicians, regulators, uh, even the gambling operators are reaching out saying, hey, this is really helpful, and it's really reaching a lot of people. Good. You know, one of the things I went through during my criminal trial was the fact that my lawyers uh, thought it would be prudent to tell the judge about my admission to being a compulsive gambler. And there was some case law in where judges were more lenient when it came to sentencing for people that could uh, have could show a direct connection between you know, gambling addiction and you know, making bad decisions and bad choices, especially for someone who otherwise lived an honest, straightforward, above-board, lawful life. Now, it didn't play a role in my sentencing that I'm aware of because the judge didn't acknowledge it. But I know there are cases where it did. And joining us now from Nevada is Judge Cheryl Moss. She's a retired judge, but uh, she oversaw one of the first gambling treatment diversion courts in America. And New Jersey as a state is uh, very close to bringing that type of court here. So I want to talk to Judge Moss about her experiences and what it's like and if ultimately, you know, that court was successful. So Judge Moss, thank you for taking some time out of your schedule to join us here this morning. We appreciate it. Good morning, Craig. Good morning from Las Vegas, Nevada. There you go. Why uh, Why were you interested in being involved in the diversion court out in Nevada? Because I imagine, you know, you had to say yes to uh, to the appointment, yeah? Yeah, well, you know, it goes way back to when I was a kid. Uh, I, I'm a kid from New Jersey. I'm the Jersey girl judge. <laughs> hmm. So... My mother was one of the uh, first uh, leaders of the um, Council on Compulsive Gambling. She's one of the pioneers. And so I've been exposed to her work in problem gambling ever since, you know, I, was, uh, ever since I could remember. Got it. And so that's how I got involved with problem uh, gambling. Was there any kickback originally when you guys decided to start the court? And I know Judge Bell was involved as well in appointing you. Was there were, were any was anybody against it? Did the casinos want to fight it? Did the DA want to say no to it? Were there people saying this is a bad idea? 
I didn't hear that it wasn't a bad idea, but there were some groups that uh, were involved in the legislative process nearly 10 years prior. And you know how difficult it is to get a uh, legislative bill passed here in Nevada, but this was a great idea. And we didn't get too much, um, you know, opposition to it, just a lot of inquiries um, about, you know, inclusiveness, uh, psychologists, the probation department. Uh, they they wanted to know how, how overwhelmed they're going to be with cases, and we assured them there wasn't going to be a, a big number of cases. Um, and so that's how we uh, were able to get everyone together and get everybody on board and uh, made a good made a good case for it, and the law was eventually passed in 2009 and signed by the governor. So here's the here's the big question Ten for you. Later we got yeah, go ahead. The big question for you is, was it and is it successful? Are the men and women that have been entered into the gambling treatment diversion court, have they been able to conquer their demons? Did they continue to break the law? And ultimately, has it been successful? Yeah, well, two years ago, when they asked me to start up the court, we had our first two cases. By the time I retired two years later, uh, my retirement, we've had nine participants. And in my view, I, I believe it's absolutely successful because I myself see people who are, you know, still in their addiction. We want to get them help, treatment. And, you know, it's all about making changes in their lives. They're going to have to make changes in their lives and not do any gambling and all that. And I, I feel that as a judge, I was able to make those human connections and see transformation. Uh, just to give an example, you know, a young man who I think was just not all there, couldn't get his budget straight and was, you know, jumping from one job to another. And we made a connection with him. And I said, hey, adulting is hard, but you got to learn how to adult and I signed him a few projects, and, boy, he's, he's really changed a lot. He really matured a lot. That's great to hear. So, Dan, yeah. where are we in regards to New Jersey bringing this type of court here? Are we close? Has it been discussed? Uh, where are we at? So, and, and I will also um, bounce this off Cheryl as well, because she's been integral in, in coming back and connecting with us in the state of New Jersey to start these dialogues and have these conversations with, with parties to help further legislation, um, whether it's through a draft bill or to help get stakeholders involved. And, and the one thing I want to note, Craig, you know, we are moving closer. We are having conversations and programs like this go a long way to help continue to keep it on the forefront of people's minds. You know, I think back to a 2015 um, study done by the Vera Institute that estimated the cost of incarceration in New Jersey was about $61,000 per incarcerated in individual. And, you know, one of the things that we know happens a lot in prison is gambling. We know it's rampant in prison. It's gambling every day on a multitude of things. So for someone who struggles with a gambling problem or gambling disorder or the disease of addiction with gambling, Putting them in prison, um, living an otherwise uh, law-abiding life, while it's not an excuse for the uh, criminal offense, it may not be the best chance for a long-term, sustainable, and meaningful recovery. Sure, and listen, I'm respectful of the fact that you know it's you have to look at each person individually because some crimes are worse than others, and you know some people have to go to prison to quote unquote pay their debt to society. But from a standpoint of less serious crimes, certainly nothing of any kind of violent nature or the use of a gun or any of that stuff. 
Do you think the New Jersey legislature would eventually approve some type of diversion court? It is my hope. And, and I will say this before having Cheryl also add in, you know, we have a model in the state of New Jersey called the drug court model. And in gambling treatment, diversion court is very similar to the drug court model where you're taking those, as you said, Craig, lower level offenses and giving people the chance at rehabilitation instead of incarceration. Right. We want to move away from warehousing and we want to get people back in society, earning a living. Right. Having tasks. Um, taking accountability, not being defined by their addiction. And that's one of the great parts and getting to know Judge Cheryl Moss over these years is that she's a people's judge. She values human life and she values giving people an opportunity to try to, to, to make amends and to get back in society. So from my perspective, I'm really hopeful, more hopeful than I was when I first started six years ago, that this is moving forward. And I would look to Cheryl also to see any additional comments, Cheryl. Yeah, um, uh, I'd like to think of myself as a judge who doesn't judge, you know, um, and look at people, look at the people that come through my courtroom as people and treat them like persons first. Uh, They are not addicts. They are persons in recovery. You know, they're not uh, druggies or uh, they are persons with a disorder. So um, we like to try to get them stable first and then help them along and at the back end, get them through a recovery process so that we know, you know, for sure they're not going to go back to their addiction or not go back to a life of crime. And that, that saves money and it saves lives. Judge Moss, uh, I wonder why only nine people were more uh, defendants not willing to sign up for it or were their lawyers, uh, I don't know, trying to negotiate some other kind of deal for them. Uh, in two years, how come you know those numbers aren't double digits or more? Yeah, I think it's because awareness. You know, we try to over the years yep. try to talk about it, give talks on it, um, make people aware, and uh, it, it's catching on. I think a lot of the criminal defense attorneys are aware of the program, and the judges are being educated more about it, and so. In two years, I went from two to nine participants. Hey, I did. Yeah, I, I'm a family court judge. I never criminal court cases. Right. But I know I had gambling involved in my custody and divorce cases, and I would see about a dozen cases a year. And sometimes we don't know about it. It doesn't get through the system unless you know somebody you know in a divorce case would accuse the other of having a gambling addiction. Then we then we start we start talking about it, but. The referrals do come from the criminal court judges, and um, yeah, no pun intended, they're not. We can't have them game the system and just use it to stay out of prison, you know. But we have to absolutely ensure that they do have a gambling disorder, that they're eligible for it, and they didn't uh, commit crimes that would not make them eligible, and then get them through our program, which is about uh, 18 to 36 months is, is kind of the best practices, but three years tops. Got it. Talking to retired Judge Moss in Nevada and, of course, Dan Chilaro. This is Hello, My Name is Craig. We'll continue on right after this. Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton, and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Welcome back to Hello, My Name is Craig. Judge Cheryl Moss from Nevada, kind enough to join us this morning. And as always, from 800-GAMBLER, Dan Chilaro. So based on what you know of New Jersey, Judge and other states that have now, in the last 18 months, legalized uh, wagering, sports wagering, uh, mobile wagering. 
Do you think other states will ultimately follow Nevada's lead and that these types of courts will be more prevalent? Or are you concerned that other states won't take the time to actually pass the legislation needed to make it happen? I think gambling courts are on the rise. You know, why did I have my eye on New Jersey? Well, I'm a kid who grew up in New Jersey. or say hi to all my friends in New Jersey. But New Jersey sometimes outpaces Nevada in gambling revenue. I mean, look in December. They they took nearly a billion dollars or a billion dollars, Dan, uh, of of gaming revenue. Yeah. And uh, that kind of explosion in, in gambling uh, there's going to be predictably a rise in problem gamblers, and it's got to be addressed. And, you know, gambling courts are just one part of the solution, and it ta- saves, saves taxpayer money, and it, it really does, you know, help people. Just wondering, uh, of the nine people that went to your court, did you maintain a relationship with anywhere? One of them might have come to you personally out of chambers and said, thank you for giving me that opportunity. My life's in the right direction now. Good question, Craig. But, you know, being a judge, uh, they can't kind of really contact us when we're the judge. So I only get to interact with them in the courtroom. And while during COVID on the computer, we see each other virtually. But I know, I just know, but we we interact with them. I mean, nine participants, I I spend an hour and a half with all nine of them in my on my court proceedings. And, you know, they're recorded and everything. But I make those, you know, connections with them you know ask them you know what have you seen the latest movie we talk about other things not just sure you know the gambling and all that but i do we check on them and i i we work as a team i get updates from our gambling coordinator who's a licensed therapist i get updates from their counselors who they see weekly we make sure they log in their support groups you know twice a week minimum some some of them they got to go through their drug tests and we check on that and but most of them are pretty much compliant and but we have some of them yeah they they fail they fail a drug test and but uh it's nice to see when they really they go get help for that we focus that and then we move on to other things and to see their smile on their faces but after i retired they they made a youtube video it's on youtube it was a a, a good you know kind of a goodbye farewell to me and it really touched touched me emotionally and and seeing and seeing them give their personal messages. Well, I I don't interact with them outside the courtroom. I appreciate what you did in Nevada. And uh, thank you for taking the time to join us this morning. And hopefully uh, next time you're on the East coast, we'll get to say hi in person, but thank you for your time today, judge. Appreciate it. Thank you, Craig. Dan, I'm going to continue on with you here. You know, you, you and judge Moss said something that's kind of striking. Uh, $1 billion in the month of December alone was wagered specifically on sporting events. That's got nothing to do with inside the casino revenue on slots or, you know, uh, cards or any of that stuff. $1 billion in a single month. Now, granted, you know, that's NFL. And I imagine January will be a big number two uh, into February with the Super Bowl. But that is more revenue than the casinos brought in. The casinos in December did less than a billion dollars. And they were down about 17% because of COVID. But you're talking about people sitting at home on their phones on computers who wagered a billion dollars in one month, which is an absurd number, really. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it, it was fascinating. If you think about the whole year with COVID, let's, let's, let's not forget that we've lost a number of months, middle part of the year on sports betting handle when all sports were shut down from 
mid-March through, let's call it July, August, when things started to return, obviously had people wagering on ping pong and table tennis in Russia, however, not to the extent. So the state of New Jersey saw $6 billion total for the entire year in 2020. And if you consider the last month alone was 16, almost 17 percent of that, 2021 certainly setting up for a huge year, I would say, in excess of, I don't know, 8 to $12 billion. Well, I mean, just look at it this way. Uh, in 2019, Internet gambling revenue in the state of New Jersey was $482 million. In 2019, it was $970 million. In the month of December alone, it was a billion dollars. So you are talking about thousands and thousands of people that are gambling for the first time and then repeatedly gambling who had never gambled in the state of New Jersey before. So now you had New York is going to legalize mobile sports wagering. Yep. Uh, Connecticut, I'm sure, is going to be right behind uh, if they don't have it already. And you're talking about tens of thousands of people who unknowingly may expose themselves to an addiction they never thought they might have. And I want to be clear, the majority won't. But if you if you take a number, just make up a random number, you know, if a million people decide to start gambling over the New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, et cetera, and you take the numbers that we know are accurate, about 10% of those people are going to wind up with a problem, you are talking about 100,000 people that all of a sudden didn't exist before that now have a problem and need resources to help them combat that problem. You're 100% right. And let's not also forget those that are at risk, those that were maybe further down the continuum. Because remember, we've talked a lot on this program about problem gambling along a continuum. And you do have people that can play responsibly, right, the 90%. But let's think about it. As this expands and there's more accessibility, whether it's through online mobile device gambling, whether it's through the game style, right, in-play sports betting, allowing you to bet pitch by pitch or play by play, right. you're now increasing the number of at-risk gamblers also. So while we might have 100,000 problem gamblers, we also might have another 100,000 people that are moving closer to that cusp. So it wouldn't surprise me as we continue to move forward with this, seeing the, the handle and the revenue numbers coming in, that more services are needed. And I think that's why it's important that we have the conversation like we had today with Judge Moss, because we have a model that works in the state of New Jersey, drug court. It's worked for years. Right. And it gets people back out. So, you know, we want to stay ahead of this. Why would we want to warehouse and incarcerate people with low-level offenses? And again, you're spot on when you say there's certain offenses people would not qualify to be a part of a supervised release program. But there's a lot of people that would qualify, and they can get back to earning a living and making amends. Yeah, I want to be clear. We're not saying that you should get away with the crime, whatever it might be. No. We're saying that there might be a better place for you to get the help you need while also paying whatever your penalty you have to pay for that crime. And again, not every single person that becomes a compulsive gambler also breaks the law. So I want to be clear about that as well. We're not suggesting that those two are intertwined you know, all the time. I don't even know what the percentage is, but it's not 100% for sure. The problem is that you have an addiction. And you need help for that addiction. And there's still a stigma involved with people that have, you know, not just gambling addiction, but obviously, you know, alcohol, drugs, that they don't want to talk about it. They feel ashamed of it. They don't know who to talk to, where to go. And unlike drugs and unlike alcohol, we are now living in a moment where gambling is on the rise significantly because of the legalization of it. So we went from this problem that was kind of hidden in alleyways and back doors and no one really wanted to discuss it. Hey, maybe it's not an addiction at all. And now all of a sudden, 
It's been designated as legitimate disease and addiction. And you have millions of people that are trying it for the first time with no idea as to whether or not they can handle it. So it's like the first time you smoke a cigarette, the first time you get high. Yeah, it seems like a fun idea. It's all good. And then for some people, it becomes a problem. And for gambling, we are right at the birth. We're right at the beginning of that proliferation. And again, most people can handle it, but for the 10% or so that can't, in the next three to five years, it's going to be an epidemic. It really is. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I agree with you 100%. That's what we, we have the opportunity and the privilege at 800 Gambler to, to represent not just the, the family members of the problem gambler as well as the problem gambler, but we also try to educate to say exactly what you just said. This thing is on the rise. And let's, and let's be clear. You made a point before. You asked Judge Moss, hey, why hasn't there been more gambling court uh, participants, right? There's only been a handful Gambling was just recognized as a formal disorder in 2013. So it's it's really only eight years old. When you consider that fact right there, eight years old, plus from a a funding perspective, we know drug and alcohol is funded at a federal level, whereas gambling is not. So there's two big issues right there. So it does say it's been a grassroots effort for, for 37, 38 years that our agency has been around getting the word out there. And now more than ever, it's exploding because of the internet, social media, availability, accessibility. In the next three to five years are very concerning. I agree. Yeah. So we talked about last week, and it'll be an issue week to week, that you know the state is sitting on money, the state of New Jersey and every state that allows gambling. You know, There's a, a deal where the, uh, the operators of those casinos and sports books do have to set aside a percentage of their total handle or revenue for responsible gambling uh, ads and working with companies like yourself. Maybe this show one day, we'll see how it goes. Wh- who's in charge of, <laughs> of making sure that that money gets distributed, that money gets collected? Like, is there a bank account somewhere in New Jersey with millions of dollars sitting in it that is yet to go out to groups like yours? Yeah, you know, and it's great. You know, the Division of Gaming Enforcement does a great job of getting that legislation and helping getting that in there so that the gaming operators are setting aside a portion of funding every year from their license to go towards responsible gambling programs. And that money is then collected by the Division of Gaming and sent over to the state of New Jersey to be held in a general fund. And those funds have been collected for the last couple of years. And it is our understanding that in the near future that they are working on a way to distribute those funds. Well, we, hang on, time out, time out, time out, time out. They've been collecting the money for years and haven't oh. yet distributed it? Well, since 2018, when it first was legalized, and we typically know that it does take a couple of years for turnaround, especially with COVID uh, this past year, I think it has slowed up the works. So as an agency, we're in discussion right now with the state and with other uh, entities in terms of looking to have those funds distributed in a timely manner. Well, I mean, we well, someone has failed on the state level of that. If they've been holding on to the money since 2018, there's got to be millions of dollars in that account that's just sitting there doing nothing. Yes, yes. And that's what we see, too, right? And, and <laughs> the whole time, the concern is that the problem gambler and the loved ones are kind of falling by the wayside while we're not at uh, the ability to, to match the marketing of some of the major operators. And, and listen, they're, they're doing business in the state of New Jersey, and that's the business, is to market and get players, and that's fine. We're neither for nor against gambling. We just want to have the resources to do our job properly. And the growth of sports betting has been so large so quickly, 
we need more resources. Yeah, but so what's, uh, what's right. amazing, like, you know, the sports books, the casinos are doing what's asked of them. They are sending whatever percentage of their revenue they have to send to the division of gaming. The division of gaming is doing the right thing. They are collecting that revenue. So it's not as if the casinos and sports books are saying, we don't want to give you the money. They're giving the money. That has been the understanding thus far, yes. Do we have any idea, ballpark, how much money we might be talking about? Well, we, um, in terms of fees, I think the number has been somewhere at, uh, two, two, over $2 million at least. If we're collecting at a bare minimum a million a year for the last two years, and now we're in our third year of sports betting, you know, you're, you're approaching $3 million of monies that are earmarked for responsible gambling programs, problem gambling initiatives that are offered by companies such as ours, right? Because that's how the legislation is written. And so the state will take the time to um, send out proposals, submit bids, whatever it might be, whatever their process is at the state level, which I can't speak to because I'm not intimate in that level, but it does take a while. The Internet gambling money that we received probably came about three years after Internet gaming was legalized in New Jersey in 2013. Dan, we're out of time. Appreciate you joining us. As always, next week we will talk to another person who uh, had their life ruined by compulsive gambling, but was able to climb back to the top of the mountain. And we'll uh, hear that story next week. We appreciate you sharing your time with us. Danny, thanks so much, pal. Thanks, Craig. Good to talk with you. As always, if you have a problem or you think a loved one has a problem, please reach out. 800-GAMBLER. They're always there 24-7 to help you or anybody that you love that may uh, need some help. Uh, We appreciate it. It's uh, Hello, my name is Craig. Evan Roberts is coming up next. And for those of you that listen to Carton and Roberts during the week, Monday at 2 o'clock, we will return. Until then, enjoy your weekend, and we'll be ready to talk uh, with you Monday at 2, right here on Sports Radio 66, 1019 FM, The Fan.